Welcome to the first podcast in my series, Writing and the Psyche. My name is Angela Moore and I'm an author, psychotherapist and composer. Since I published my novel, Children of the Gods, which is the first book in my Children of Myth trilogy, many people have asked me about my writing process. Where do I get my ideas? Why do I use myths as a background plot device? How do I go about creating interesting, complex characters? I decided to group these questions under three headings, which is how I came up with the title, The Big Three, Circumstance, Personality and Metanarrative. I'll begin with some background about the areas of interest which shape my writing, and then I'll move on to the three elements mentioned in the title. I hope you'll find this journey interesting and informative, even having a few laughs along the way. And I look forward to receiving your feedback and any further questions you might have. So to begin, what are the areas of interest which shape my novels? I've been a writer since I was a small child with a vast imagination. I loved creating worlds and characters to inhabit them. I loved to disappear for hours into the realm of make-believe. And I look back on those early, often unintentionally hilarious efforts with great fondness. I still recall writing a very dramatic piece at the age of about 10, in which the heroine, now an old lady of 40 with grey hair, dies in a scene of enormous pathos, presumably of old age. When I read it aloud to my family, I thought my sister, who was seven years older and wiser in the ways of the world, would die of suppressed laughter. Sibling hilarity aside, my family encouraged me, and I can see how these innocent stories forged my delight in the mysterious process of creative writing. To this day, I'm beguiled by the way ideas seem to emerge fully formed, apparently from nowhere. Of course, they come from the subconscious, but the fact that they're invisible to our everyday conscious mind continues to fascinate me. The workings of the brain are mysterious and wonderful, so perhaps it's no coincidence that in later years I became a somatic therapist, specialising in a form of psychotherapy which works with the mind-body connection to help my clients find ways of releasing emotional blockages. This background is important in understanding how I develop my characters, because I try to imbue them with complexity drawn from an interest in the human psyche and its multiplicity of layers, contradictions and conflicts. My understanding, as imperfect as it might be, is constantly learning and deepening its awareness, and my writing becomes part of a feedback loop in which my psychological observations both clarify and are clarified by the writing. So this is the platform from which I launch my imaginings. It shapes everything from plot to character to narrative voice. Thank you.
This is where we now move on to the big three, beginning with circumstance, the external events and forces which influence our lives. We're all shaped by circumstance. So background events play an important part when it comes to crafting characters by providing the necessary tension to shape the plot. What's happened to them to make them the way they are? Have they suffered privation, abuse, some recent disaster, or have they enjoyed a life of privilege? Have their circumstances altered in ways which profoundly affect their ability to cope, or even set them on a totally different path through life? Is their environment conducive to growth and fulfilment, or are they thwarted at every turn? Perhaps they're a product of war or civil unrest, or perhaps they come of immigrant stock and feel caught between two cultures. Whatever the circumstances, they need to suffer a deficiency of some sort, an unmet desire or an external threat. We see these devices throughout literature and they can be as benign as Jane Austen's dwelling on the need for suitable husbands for young Regency women, or as dramatic as Tolkien's looming threat of Mordor. It can manifest as the vision quest of Carlos Castaneda, or the solipsistic obsession of Nabokov's anti-hero. While I certainly don't compare myself with these literary giants, in the case of Children of the Gods, the characters' life histories and wounds create the necessary tension and allow me to explore not only their actions, but also their emotional response to the situations in which they find themselves. This leads me to the role of personality in characterization. To begin, we need to ask, what is personality and how do we convey it when dealing with characterization? What motivates these people? What defences do they build? Why do they do the things they do? Because I'm fascinated by such questions in real life, naturally I address them in my novels. Sometimes I'll explain these clearly, as I've done in part one of the novel, when I introduce the men who comprise the League of Gentlemen. A bunch of mostly very unpleasant people it would be easy simply to resort to the comment made by one elderly gentleman at a book group where I gave a talk. He curled his lip and said, What a pack of bastards. They deserve each other. I got the feeling he wasn't terribly impressed by the book, and I suspect he didn't persevere long enough to find out why I'd written them that way. That's always the risk when including some of the unpleasantness of real life. Some people will want uniformly likeable characters. Others are prepared to dive into murkier waters. Thankfully, the other members of the group loved the book and were fascinated by the characters just as well or I'd have slunk off into the night with a worse case of imposter syndrome than I have at the best of times. But I don't just display the unpleasantness of those men and let them stand as cardboard cutouts of the archetypal bastard. I have this compulsion to reveal their wounds and their narcissism, their softer side, their entitlement. 
At other times, these aspects are implied or are combined both techniques, as with the female characters. But we're always called upon to reflect in some way about the personalities of the people who inhabit my imagination. We need to see into their souls. While I might not do so explicitly in the writing, I tend to reflect on the temperament of a character. That part which is determined by genetics, biology and instinct. The part of us which is unchanging. We see this most clearly in the character of Bull, the male protagonist, with his brooding impassivity. He is, by nature, somewhat reclusive, a loner, an intellectual. But it's not the totality of his being. In psychological terms, environment, socialization, and, yes, circumstance, all have the capacity to make the individual more flexible and capable of change, while still remaining the same in essentials. We see this process at work in the main characters as they respond to events. One of my reviewers described Bull as mysterious, wild, vulnerable and dangerous. And yet he becomes in time a sympathetic character. His impassivity and tendency to brood remain the same, but he is softened by the unexpected circumstances which overtake him. Another example deals with the ways in which Addie and Cleo develop and mature in response to the unexpected, with Kara the pragmatist as the fulcrum between them. Cleo's overprotective instincts and Addie's childlike gullibility begin to shift in both positive and negative ways, yet both remain basically the same, hostage to their respective temperaments. So if you've read my book, you'll find that my writing is populated by individuals with complex motives and varying levels of insight and personal growth, depending on their temperaments and the forces which shaped their lives. Are they able to become more conscious, to understand their own processes and learn from them? Some of them will grow and find redemption, while others remain unable to let go of the ego demands which rule their lives. Occasionally, I'm asked whether the characters are drawn from real life. One dear soul actually asked me whether the novel was autobiographical, to which I responded that while my own life had certainly had its moments, it had never been half as exciting as Addie's. Sometimes my character is a combination of people I've known or observed or known by repute. Someone once asked whether my therapy clients make it onto the pages of my novels. As you can probably imagine, I was horrified. Consider the ethical considerations, quite apart from basic human decency. But I will say that my clients' courageous struggles to find a better way to live inspire me to create my characters with compassion for their problems. Even the antagonist, the darkest character, 
will benefit from reflection on temperament and life experience. In the case of Children of the Gods, this would undoubtedly be Fabian Sanders. He really is a piece of work. My reflection on his behaviour doesn't exonerate his psychopathic tendencies, but it does help us to understand the internal and external forces which have influenced his behaviour, and in so doing, it brings him to life in our imagination. And at the end of the day, that's what we look for in characterization: three-dimensional individuals who demonstrate the breadth of human complexity, because at some level, that enables us to identify with their struggles and their dreams, and perhaps make sense of our own. Finally, and perhaps most importantly for the Children of Myth trilogy at least, is the place of the meta-narrative. What is a meta-narrative? It isn't the role of this podcast to discuss the philosophical tension between universal and local narratives. For my purposes, I'm dealing more with a Jungian interpretation of the grand story, in this case, the realm of myth. The foundation of my writing is the way in which the important stories, the seminal myths that have both structured and reflected our thinking for millennia, continue to inhabit us, just as we, in our turn, inhabit them. We believe we have free will. We believe we make decisions based on experience, temperament and local knowledge. What we often forget is that we're constantly influenced by past history. Echoes of long-fought wars, of social upheaval, of radical changes in climate, political influence and movements of humanity still affect us today. This happens through epigenetics and through the ongoing reaction of individuals and entire societies to these stimuli, long after the events themselves have been consigned to the pages of history. But it doesn't stop there. We must take into account the overarching context which informs the events of history while standing above them, and that is the realm of myth. These are the great stories the events which we see reproduced in the world time and again, ever evolving in their practical application, but rooted in the essence of the story. They include religious texts, folk tales, and the myths and legends of many lands. They contain the archetypal characters, many of which we recognize. The innocent, the orphan, the caregiver, the creator, the rebel, the jester, 
the healer, the teacher, the hero, the heroine, the sage, the trickster, the ruler. They all have their subsets and mythic characters will often combine elements of archetypal energies. Think of the centaur, Chiron, the wounded healer. Think of Hollywood and its parade of rebel heroes, innocent teachers, jester tricksters. Everywhere we look, we see the echoes of the myths, and yet we're mostly unaware that we are enacting or witnessing time-honoured patterns. So we can see the role myths play in terms of the meta-narrative. They have enormous power by virtue of the fact that they deal with the human condition in metaphorical ways. Take the myth of Narcissus, for example. It's given us the psychological term narcissistic personality disorder, and we all know or know of people who fit that description. If we look at the Greco-Roman mythology, we find gods who interfered in the affairs of humankind. They behaved in very fallible, ungodlike ways and represent the best and worst of human nature, writ large, at an archetypal level. For they are us, magnified by the collective, and this is their power. The myths are primal, and as such they emerge time and again at an individual level and in the collective. Their energy is so great that they have the power to draw us into behaviours which otherwise we might not envisage. Maybe this sounds melodramatic, but think of people afflicted by Jerusalem syndrome who are hospitalised with psychosis. These have included an Irish school teacher who came to a Jerusalem hospital convinced she was about to give birth to the baby Jesus and she wasn't even pregnant. But my favourite is the Austrian man who flew into a rage in his hotel kitchen when staff refused to prepare the last supper for him. On a sadder note, think of the women who were caught up in the red shoes motif, finding themselves forced to dance in the glare of public scrutiny until they are destroyed. Marilyn Monroe, Janis Joplin, Amy Winehouse... Princess Diana. Think of Icarus who flies too close to the sun, a metaphor for those whose intensity causes them to crash and burn. Many of the great artists and musicians of this world have suffered that fate. In this way, we begin to understand the power of the great stories. From adolescence, I was fascinated by the myth of the Minotaur, the half-man, half-bull monster at the heart of the labyrinth. We've seen prominent people who've lived out his brutishness in metaphor. Picasso is an outstanding example, and he consciously identified with the beast. He devoured women metaphorically, his lusts fueling and fueled by his art. But more often, people find themselves caught in the toils of myth without conscious understanding of what is happening to them. 
Identification with myth, whether conscious or not, is always perilous because the stories are too big, too powerful to be contained in the frail vessel of the individual human mind body. They consume us and occasionally they destroy us, as happens to Bull's father in Children of the Gods. So what do we learn from this? If we consider what I have discussed about the Big Three, we see that my writing is essentially an exploration. While it follows a narrative trajectory, it is deeply concerned with the characters' personalities and the circumstances in which they find themselves. It chronicles their responses, framed and influenced by the energy of the meta-narrative, the myth of the Minotaur. It reminds us that we constantly live at two levels. The everyday modern world, where we go about our business, rarely thinking of the forces that shape us, and within the potent energy of the collective stories, which might be invisible to our inner eye, but are nonetheless powerful drivers of our lives. These three levels of narrative structure provide depth and, I believe, they create an interesting tension which lends novelty to the text. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and the music which I composed in response to writing Children of the Gods. If you'd like to hear more or find out where to access a copy of the book, you can log into my website at angelamorenovelist.net. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to suggest further subjects for discussion. I look forward to hearing from you. Oh.